there's a country beyond that which is known to humankind. A stray country. A country that exists west of October, whose borders are somewhere between midnight train whistles and the distant howl of a dog. A country that lies somewhere in the stitched and jittering static between radio stations. A country that drifts to America like a traveling salesman, but every now and then stops to nest on a small town, a small church, a single street, and maybe, just maybe, some kind of delayed radio broadcast you've stuffed in your ears. Chapter 2 A Funeral for Summer Freddy! Hey! Freddy! Jack was using his outside Halloween voice, which meant it was rigged up to his own amplification system, five times louder than Uncle Rick's revolver. Down the street, a skeleton answered the call, came their way. Billy had caught up from being left alone in a dead lady's front yard with a cigarette in his bag, chilled by an unplugged Frigidaire body going cold. A cigarette mint for lips that first had shucking lung arson on their mind, and then, probably, simmered prayers during the whole day it took her to die alone. What took you so long? The skeleton asked. Oh man, old lady Brogan died. Jack was using the same voice he used when he beat video games. Died? Freddy was too young to use that word. Felt strange saying it. Yeah, the old lady fell and hit her head on the counter. Died on Halloween. Can you believe it? Isn't it great? Yeah, great. Did you see the body? Freddy was using the voice he used when talking about a playboy. Probably because to boys and men, sex is the safest way to try on dying. Because boys and men know, without knowing, sleeping with a woman or even just looking at her naked will kill just about everything the guy ever knew about himself. But it's less like a funeral and more like Memorial Day. Every guy knows, without knowing, that he'll come out whole on the other side of the magazine. Guys have got a feeling they'll come out in one piece on the other side of the bed. What is dying but forgetting everything a man knows about himself? Even if it's just for the ten seconds it takes to eye swill a centerfold. Oh yeah, man, they had her in this white sheet in the house, like a ghost or something. It was creepy, you know? Yeah. Then they zipped her up in this black bag and, you know, looked a lot like, like a, a dry cleaner's bag. You know, the kind your dad brings home from work. Tell him, Billy, didn't it look like a dry cleaner's bag? Billy looked up. Jack was looking at him. Freddy was looking at him. Billy stirred his statue lips. I thought I looked more like... A fistful of leaves blew past in the wind. Two older boys blinked. Like what? Freddy asked. Billy swallowed. A garbage sack. Oh yeah! A trash bag! 
oh man, isn't that gross? I mean, that's like chainsaw cinema kind of stuff, right? Totally. Then crack, the stretcher hit a bump, and pop, out flies her dead lady hand. Jack was waving his hand in the night. Oh, gross, her hand, her hand. Was it gross? So gross. And in her hand was a cigarette. Probably died holding it, trying to find her lighter. Oh, so she like held on to it? Like the whole time she was dying? Freddy's hands were on his face. Totally, man. Ugh, you're grossing me out the door. Yeah, and the best part was she like threw it at Billy. Jack laughed. It was the same laugh he used when his dad's friends told jokes he didn't understand. Oh, Billy. Freddy's tone was the same he used to talk about nerdy kids at school. Gross, man. Tough luck. Billy didn't react like a little brother should. He just stood there, candy bag in hand, cigarette in bag, afraid of holding on, afraid of letting go. Jack pushed Billy's shoulder. Yeah, he's all gross now, you know, got old lady cigarette germs on him. Gross, crowed Freddy. Hey, Billy, think she'll haunt you? Yeah, she will, Jack explained. Because when you die, all you got is what's on your body. So that's like why every ghost is stuck in their clothes they died in for the rest of eternity. So the old lady's dead and gone, and her ghost will still want to smoke. But they don't got cigarettes in heaven, and they sure as hell don't got them in hell, so she'll have to come find the last cigarette she was holding when she died. Yeah, Billy, Freddy said. Better throw that thing away, or she'll come for you. No, he can't throw it away, because he was the last person she saw with it. Then she'll come at three in the morning and ask for it, and the last thing you want to tell ghosts is I don't have what you came for. Oh, right. Freddy nodded the same way he nodded when Pastor Phillips looked at him during sermon. You're screwed, Billy. Freddy patted Billy on the head like he was saying goodbye. Nice knowing you. Hey, Billy, when she comes for you, can I have your video games? Jack asked. Screw you guys. Billy tried to drop his candy bag drop his candy bag and go home, but Billy's fingers weren't listening. He looked down. His eyes scolded his fingers, but their grip said, we know what we're doing. I'm going home. Billy turned, started home. You don't even have any candy, Jack called after him. I don't care. Is he going to tell your mom on you? Freddy asked. Well, he can't do that without showing her the cigarette, and if Mom knew he had a cigarette in the house, Billy had left earshot. And soon, eyesight. As he turned the corner, he faced the long dark of 30-year-worn suburban streets, built in the 50s. They were too young to have character and too old to say much of anything anymore. They had, above all else, aged into a silent era. A middle-class wasteland full of squatty houses trying their very best to be very, very civilized. Half were dark. The other half had the vapors of lumber holocaust rising from their chimneys. Signs of devil packs soon to be made daily in winter. A touch of arson just to read the evening newspaper at a comfortable temperature. Suddenly, 
It felt much closer to November than October. Billy touched his ski mask, like the act would remind the mask to keep working. He could see his breath, too much of it, for this time of year. Yes, a breath shouldn't be that visible on the last night of the pumpkin month. He missed being at home where his father would pull the wood from the pile outside and stack it in the fireplace, then crumple yesterday's news, because what good was yesterday's news save to warm today, into perfect fistfuls of compactness, tight, but not too tight, tight enough to hold the flame, loose enough to let it breathe. The way you hold a woman, Dad had once said, and then upon realizing Billy was listening, pulled a canned laugh from the corner of his lungs like it had been a joke all along. Making a fire was above all else a ritual to put anything the Catholics had in their wheelhouse to shame. And then the match, the strike, the roar of the toothpick-sized firemaker, which quickly turned quiet. Why, yes, thought Billy. Striking a match was a lot like the neighborhood he lived in. Hot and loud and bright, the day they were struck alive by the feet of 1950s parents and now slow-burning, crawling quietly for the end of the matchstick. It was 1987. There had always been something dangerous about the silence of suburban neighborhoods that he could never quite put his finger on. That was it. These idiot collection of butterfly houses weren't old neighborhoods wilting away like old folks in old homes. No. Neighborhoods like his were half-burnt matches, still on fire, quiet and half-used, lulling a lullaby flame, waning but still promising a threat of Chicago city arson if handled improperly. Billy looked at his calculator watch. 8 p.m. He was only four hours away from November. It was just him alone in the spook alley hours. He looked down the silent street. Where were all the other trick-or-treaters? It was a neighborhood that didn't have a lot of kids to begin with, but kids should be out, especially tonight. He half expected to hear Jack's best Halloween voice like a scratching hag riding the wind from two streets over, but he didn't. All he heard was mummified leaves shambling down the street. He realized he'd gone the wrong way. Not that there had ever really been any other choice, because to boys there is only one way, the most direct way, so there is no going home the scenic route. A boy won't walk two blocks when he knows full well he could do the job in one. A boy won't walk around the block when he knows there's a perfectly good path through the block. Because to boys, it's all about destinations, and journeys are strange things, hard to put into pockets, and certainly opaque to boys. And so when he had left Jack and Freddy, he headed for home the way he had left, which on any other night, any other night, 
would have been just fine. But tonight was not any other night. Tonight was the night Mary Brogan died in her very own house on Halloween. And now Billy stopped. Two houses north of the house, which had so recently played understudy to the mausoleum and pickled an old, old woman, did. He stood alone in the dark, afraid to step forward, afraid to go back, because going back meant around the block down Westmore or down Mormont, which were strange and unfamiliar streets. Not at all like Eastmore, the street where he could name every house and every neighbor. But to go down Westmore would be to shuffle past a cemetery of sorts, a bunch of tombstone houses bearing signs and symbols which did nothing to peel back the layers of strangers and strangeness. And Mormont. Why to walk it by day was fine, and had been done, but by night, who could say, having never done it? He could see Mary Brogan's house ahead, colored in the pure paint of night, surrounded on the north by the Neal's house glowing with lumber ghosts, on the south by Norma's crackling of electricity. In the October hour did Mary Brogan's house look very much like a hole in the street. Some kind of dark movie theater in a shut-down, played-out theater. It had spat the grit of horror cinema and now was black and silent. It reminded him very much of Grandpa's funeral. The graveside service the pre-cut hole six feet deep, which to a kid is deeper than absolutely necessary, perversely deep. Just deep enough to lose an I.N., just deep enough to lose a grandpa in, just dark enough to not see bottom. This is where they left grandpa. There is where Mary Brogan died. Billy swallowed. He felt his hand tighten around his pillowcase candy sack, the sad stock exchange report of this year's Halloween. No candy, one dead woman's cigarette. The way home suddenly looked a very long walk. The rangy lawns, graduates of Cotillion Charm School that had once been so very polite for war veterans turned amateur homeowners, seemed too far from the decade of car fins and vacuuming and dresses in a bad month under a dark holiday, forgotten all the goddamn rules. The lawns felt shorter, the houses felt taller. The night sky got all crowded out by eaves and rain gutters and most of all fireplace chimneys chain-smoking like idiot men. Billy felt like he was walking a tunnel. Some kind of forest, but worse. Something full of lung dust or trampled bones or the smells of those easiest to take. The wind sawed into the night, and off stage was the sound of metal box music. Somewhere off her back patio did Mary Brogan's summer wind chime played a season wrong lullaby. Some kind 
of shit show fanfare for the ears what only made a boy feel further from summer than he ever could. And a boy never feels further from summer than at its funeral, which is autumn. Yes. That is all autumn is. The phantasmagorical show with the leaves. The sun going grandpa. It's all pageantry for the passed away season. A funeral for summer. To boys, wind chimes may well be the church bells of summer. But to hear it there, that night, on that street, coming like a lullaby from the house, what had so recently killed a very old woman with its very own countertops. It was not possible for Billy to stand any more still. He looked to the empty street. Where were all the goddamn kids? But the music school dropout tune of the almost musical instrument was edged out by the symphony of a high chair violinist. Not the first chair, high chair. A rustling in the trees, something more foreign than wind chimes in the wrong month. It was the noise all shipwrecked kites make, dashed and torn asunder on the run-aground rocks of oaks or elms. The wind fiddling the gashes like a calliope's song, torturing the ears of boys for miles around. Yes, it was the sound of a dead kite stuck in a tree, and Billy, like all boys, couldn't bear to not look. But it wasn't a kite. No. It was a white plastic sack. Like from a grocery store. Some kind of monster that in some unlettered year had stretched over America like a cat waking from a nap and replaced the brown paper bag. A white plastic sack. Which all men and women unthinkingly recognize as something one step removed from nature. Why, yes, if a man were to bury that brown paper sack in the garden, it would only be a matter of one short season, maybe two, for it to return to nature again. Hell, it was already the color of nature. But the white plastic sack. When had this pig-squealing monster begun to prowl the deep end of America? When had its phony paper lantern face kissed the country, begun to whisper its radiostatic voice? At what point had this construct of capitalism escaped the electric laboratory of some mad scientist and wrapped its hands around everything we carried home? And if buried, the sack could not return to nature, no matter if you left it underground for five, ten, fifteen, twenty years. No, because it was not from nature, so how could it go back? Billy watched it snap to the wind. Back sass, the currents flowing over American country. Flutter like the flags of the free market. And yes, like from a grocery store, but thinner, cheaper, 
more insipid, if that can be said of plastic, which is the root of almost nothing. Because it was a white plastic bag, yes, but not like one from a grocery store, which needs to carry home items of sustenance. Yes, grocery store sacks need to be able to heft the marrow of bone liquefied in gallons of milk or the pounds of protein present in meat. Grocery store sacks need to be able to hold and heft and hang on to, to freight the food what nourishes the navel. A foster parent to tend the eggs and milk between store fridge and home fridge. Something to keep eggs from tumbling onto the concrete wasteland in between. But this sack. This sack was not made of the fabric of even grocery store plastic. It looked like a convenience store sack. Something thinner. Lighter, something built threadbare on purpose. Because at outset, the builder knew this sack wouldn't carry anything but cigarettes and six-packs. Tobacco and candy bars, freak show fare for the body. Hollow items, which wouldn't add minutes to anyone's lives, but rather sand seconds away. Bubble gum doesn't weigh like milk because it doesn't add anything to any person. So someone had built a sack made out of the nothing fabric of plastic and sheared it like a sheep to make this white plastic sack which was closer to the fabric of a ghost than anything else ever made by humankind. The ghost sack to carry home the ghost-making items of convenience store carnivals, the marble reds, the American spirits, the parliaments, the virgin slims, the silver bullets for a man's liver, the Budweiser's that didn't make any man wiser. The sack fluttered in the tree, like some kind of decoration the old lady had hung out for Halloween. But it wasn't something made cheaply for the hatchet shadow season. It moved like the thin tide of smoke coming off a cigarette. And it looked like a ghost. And Billy had seen it before. A thousand like it, yes, but one like this. The day the ambulance had come to pick up Grandpa, to try to kickstart his fumbling heart, Dad had ridden in the car to pick up Grandma, to ambulance chase a father and grandfather and husband to the hospital. Dad pulled up, Grandma got in. The ambulance was gone. Grandpa was gone. Dad drove away, gunned it madly for the hospital, as if a banker showing up on time could barter with the old scythe man. And Billy, for some reason, looked back. At Grandma and Grandpa's condo, disappearing behind them, somehow knowing it would be different next time he saw it. Somehow knowing it would never be the same. And there, rolling out from the left-open garage, had been the ghostly white tumbleweed. The white plastic sack run from Grandpa's garage and museum of tools. Rolling in the spitfire breeze of June, like a jailbroke spirit freed of its body by gunslinger song. And Billy watched it run, and the whole world felt like a saloon 
listening to the idiot lullaby of gun-slung silence. Somehow, he knew Grandpa had lost the duel. Somehow, the way the sack moved had told him. He tried to never think much on it, because what boy likes to remember the day their grandpa died, so they replace it with memories of swimming at the condo pool, or going to pizza, or trips to the mall with t-shirts and corn dogs and bracelets, or pioneer treks out to the drive-in movie theater by day, where under the sun men met to swap junk bond treasures. Billy had almost forgotten the white plastic sack that had told him Grandpa was dead until the night Mary Brogan died on Halloween. The sack talked in the tree. More of a whisper, really. More of a drag, actually, like it was huffing the dust of the bedroom community, spitting the siren song of a trapped kite, calling all boys away from their candy. Billy looked down the street. He was the only boy who'd heard. Billy did not like the way it watched him. Billy did not like the way he had not questioned that the sack could watch him. He watched it torn and mangled, dancing in the wind like an old flag his dead veteran grandfather would have raised hell over. Some four hours early, November gust blew the tree like birthday cake candles. The white plastic sack fluttered away like a birthday wish. Billy ran home as fast as a boy can. Street country is scribbled and scratched out by me, Nicky Ink. The shallow tide of sound is done up by my brother. Come back to the country, bring a friend, shout about it from the steeples. Shotgun your voice to the far reaches of your phone. Ties and offerings can be proffered on my Patreon. Find directions. At straycountry.com. See you in the country.